and welcome to the fourth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Danielle Fetter. Danielle is a new play advocate who does dramaturgy, producing, marketing, and writing, and is in her final year of the Dramaturgy MFA at Columbia University, where she's worked on productions such as The Merchant of Venice, The Cherry Orchard, Our Town, and a ton of new work. She is one of three co-creators of Rachel's Out of This World Bat Mitzvah, a co-founder of Hysteria Theater, and has previously worked for Signature Theater, Noor Theater, Walnut Street Theater, and Nymph. We're going to talk today about the Jason Robert Brown and Alfred Urey musical, Parade. Hey Danielle, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks, I'm so excited. Well, we will get started with our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? So I grew up on Long Island. So my first experience with a musical was on Broadway when I was, I guess, four, which is the youngest year allowed. Um, but it was when Beauty and the Beast first opened. Um, my mom tells the story that she was working in the city at the time and on her lunch break, at work the day the box office opened for Beauty and the Beast, she went and bought tickets immediately. Um, I, being so young, I don't really remember it. I have like one snapshot of it in my mind where I feel like I remember um, like the very full stage during Be Our Guest, this like huge number. Um, and I remember feeling very far away from the stage, but I don't know where we were sitting and my mom doesn't remember. It might be that I was I was just small and the theater was big. Um, but I, I do remember sort of like being in awe during Be Our Guest, mm -hmm. that like so much was happening. Um, and then after that, like the one that I remember more was a few years later, I saw Cats. Um, and that was with my grandma. And I remember we were sitting in the orchestra. We had like aisle orchestra seats and the their actors, they come up the aisle in the orchestra and interact with the audience a little bit. And I think a lot of times I hear people talk about seeing cats when they were little and that scaring the shit out of them. <laughs> um, but I was just like, oh, I love this. This is so exciting. I kind of wish I had seen Cats as a kid to get that experience. Of... I saw it like three times on Broadway. Oh, wow. Uh, what's a musical people may be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised? One that I landed on that I think people would be surprised to know that I genuinely have a fondness for is Sweet Charity. Mm -hmm. um, I was in it twice. Um, I love Fosse. And it's just like this fun, silly show that I don't think is pretending to be anything it's not. Um, 
and I just enjoy it. I really like Sweet Charity. <laughs> nice. Well, that that's really all you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical? And who is your favorite villain or antagonist in a musical? Louise and Gypsy for protagonist. I just like adore Gypsy. I think it's perfect. Um, although I guess maybe it's a controversial statement to say the protagonist is Louise and not Mama Rose, but it's equal footing, I yeah. think. Um, and then antagonist uh, Frank in Merrily We Roll Along decided he's the antagonist to Mary in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe antagonist is too strong a word and like villain is probably too strong a word, but it's, you know, he's, he's the source of the conflict mm -hmm. between the friends. Um, he's, he's the one that betrays them um, by quote unquote selling out. Um, and you can, as an audience member, not think that selling out is a bad thing like think that frank isn't necessarily doing something bad um but to mary and charlie he is yeah i can see that what older or classic show did you recently see for the first time and what was your experience with it I had never seen Little Shop until going to that off-Broadway revival with Jonathan Groff. Uh. Um, I had never even seen the movie somehow. So that was just so much fun. Like, like obviously I knew a lot of the songs from it. Right. I was familiar with a lot of it, but I didn't realize, I don't think... I didn't realize how violent it was. I didn't realize how many people died. I didn't realize that um, Seymour is complicit. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but also like, like I went into it sort of understanding and like being excited that like knowing that it was just super campy. Yeah, yeah and had a really great time. What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? This was easy. There was no hesitation. <laughs> Story of My Life, which was one of the like shortest lived little, broad I think it ran like 12 performances. I don't remember. I might be making up, but it starred Will Chase and Malcolm Getz. Um, and it was on Broadway in 2009 and was a huge, huge flop. Um, it is such a lovely, sweet show. It's these two friends, they're, they're childhood best friends. They like have grown apart. And the premise of the show is that Malcolm Getz's character has actually just died. And Will Chase as like the famous author best friend has been asked to write the eulogy for him. So like the show is Will Chase struggling to write this eulogy for his childhood best friend and is like interacting and retreading memories with him um, with like essentially like 
his imagined like ghost version of Malcolm Getz's character. Interesting. Absolutely. Lovely. And they did record it. There is a cast album. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? Ring of Keys in Fun Home. Mm-hmm. Um, and Answer Me in the band's visit. I think for Ring of Keys, I'd never seen like that sensation of recognition portrayed in that way, especially when it's through the eyes of a child who can't even articulate it. Um, And then answer me. I know David Yazbek has said it's actually very deliberately the the crescendo at the end of that song um, is the only time in the whole show that the cast sings together in harmony. Oh, interesting. And that that was deliberate, that this song about connection, um, when uh, payphone guy, Adam Cantor, <laughs> um, his girlfriend finally calls him, and the, the longing behind all of that and that all of them in this town are feeling. I think it's one of the purest forms of like, they say in a musical, like you sing when you can't talk anymore or Mm -hmm. when the emotion spill over beyond words. And it's like, I feel like that crescendo in Answer Me is that exactly. Great. Well, let's move on to our topic which is the musical parade. Um, yeah, so why don't I guess start with your your background with this musical and uh, why why we want to talk why you want to talk about it today? The, the paper I rediscovered from undergrad um, that inspired this whole episode is that in college, I wrote a paper for a musical theater history class. Um, comparing essentially the Broadway production in 1998 with the revival-ish, air quotes, revival of the show in 2007 at the Donmore Warehouse in London, um, which Jason Robert Brown and Alfred Urey did rewrites for. Right. and it's also recorded, like it's a, it's a new cast album of it. And that version of the cast album has a lot of dialogue in it. Um, so even without having the libretto in front of me or like the revised libretto in front of me, I, I knew significant changes had been made. Right. Um, and so I was in this paper, I analyzed the changes and like what the intention seemed to be what the effect of those changes were um and comparing it to like what critics were saying about the original broadway production and the donmar warehouse production well i guess we should say first um just like the the premise of parade for those who yeah for those who uh don't know the show um and i i saw it so i didn't see the original production production when it was on Broadway, but I watched it at 
the um, theater on film and tape at uh, Lincoln Center because we studied it in one of my classes in graduate school. So the premise of Parade is that it takes place in 1913 in Atlanta, Georgia, and is about this man, Leo Frank, who is a Jewish man from Brooklyn who's moved down south um, after marrying his wife, Lucille. And he is the superintendent of a pencil factory that uh, this girl, Mary Fagan, works at. She's 13 years old um, at the time. And she is found having been raped and murdered in the pencil factory. Um, And Leo is ultimately um he's a suspect he's one of two or three suspects that were in custody and is ultimately convicted and sentenced to death by hanging for the murder of mary fagan but the real like the way the case shook out is there was a lot of anti-semitism at play in his conviction and in the media circus surrounding the trial and it definitely played a role in his conviction. Although what I'm gonna get into is that like the Broadway production and the Donmar Warehouse production, the biggest difference is in how much ambiguity there is as to Leo's innocence or guilt. Um, in reality, based on the articles I was reading in the articles I read about the, the court case and the, the trial and, and all the testimonies is it was actually genuinely ambiguous right. whether he did it or not. Like there, it was certainly like the idea of beyond a shadow of a doubt was not being honored like there was doubt there was for sure doubt um but he also was not unequivocally innocent like this was not um a situation where like it was just purely anti-semitism like there was definitely reason to suspect him Hmm. um but the broadway production uh you know with two Jewish men writing this musical, Jason Robert Brown and Alfred Urey, their perspective on the case was very one-sided. And understandably, like you understand that that's their perspective, Um, but the Broadway production was, the reviews at least were like, this is kind of boring there's no ambiguity, there's no suspense. Um, your telegraph, the the set being one of the biggest issues with it actually, mm-hmm. that um, the set for the Broadway production was, the central part of it was a giant tree that you more or less knew or realized pretty quickly was telegraphing 
<laughs> an innocent man was going to be hanged. But in reality, again, like it was not that clear cut. Jason Robert Brown and Alfred Urey attempted to address that when the show moved to London in 2007. And not only like there's some, there's a new song, like they cut a song and replaced it with something else. They, and there was also a lot, uh, a good amount of like reordering of scenes. Um, and the addition of more courtroom testimonies to add more ambiguity, really. Um, and the biggest thing is like, in both, something that goes unchanged is this idea of Leo as this outsider in the South, as a Yankee Jew, mm -hmm. um, and how not only does he just kind of feel out of place in the South, but he is made to feel out of place in the South by everyone around him and isn't, doesn't even want to like integrate into Southern society. He's like repulsed by it. I go to bed at night, hoping when I wake, this will all be gone like it was just a dream. And I'll be home again, back again in Brooklyn. Back with people who look like I do, and talk like I do, and think like I do. But then the sun rises in Atlanta again. These people make me tense. I live in fear they'll start a conversation. These people make no sense. They talk and I just stare and shut my mouth. It's like a foreign land. I didn't understand that being Southern's not just being in the South. When I look out on all this, how can I call this home? Men belong in zoos. It's like they've never joined civilization. The Jews are not like Jews. I thought the Jews were Jews, but I was wrong. I thought I would be fine. But four years down the line, with every word, it's very clear I don't belong. I don't cuss, I don't drawl. So how can I call this home? We should say the title. Uh, parade is because the murder and like the center of the story hangs on Mary attending the Confederate Memorial Day Parade. Um, right. And the whole, like one of the first things is Frank saying to his wife, like, why, why are you celebrating losing a war? <laughs> why this is the dumbest holiday I've ever heard of and so just immediately he's got disdain for the south for southerners for this whole culture this um and you know he's and I don't know how true he's described in all of the 
reporting at the time. Um, and just like in general as a very awkward kind of cold man. Um, he had really big eyes. Like he's described as having like bug eyes. Hmm. Um, and is just generally not like warm or kind or welcoming. And that really worked against him. Yeah. Um, and of course, like, you don't want to write a protagonist that way necessarily. Like you want to, you want the audience to empathize with him. And even if you don't agree, you want the audience to care about what happens to him. So to that end, what JRB and Alfred did was like sort of, and, and then this is another thing that sort of got, um, amped up between Broadway and London mm -hmm. is the there they worked to center um to make the, the crux of the story less about the trial although it's it's about the trial still um and more about Leo and Lucille's love story mm -hmm. and the the arc being that like Leo and Lucille go from having this kind of distant, cold marriage that's like been more or less arranged um, by their families to actually falling in love over the course of Lucille helping him while he's in prison and she's trying to like deal with the governor and lawyers and reporters and all of, and help him navigate the situation. So I had my class on this, like in between the two productions, it was like in 2005. And I remember a main, and it's sort of in my notes as well. I remember, um, I remember a main like component of that discussion was that we should have doubt that he has done this, that Leo Frank has committed this crime. Um, but in the version that was on Broadway, it's so, it's so clear that he didn't do it. Um, so it's, it's great that they had a chance to, to work on that, that aspect. And I do love the idea too, that it also focuses more on their relationship. Um, just as like a, a human element of the of the story um because yeah the, she she's gonna like leave town for the trial she doesn't even want to be there and I, it's just like what is this relationship yeah <laughs> and it's just i feel you feel so bad for him i mean i did i felt so bad for him in that moment um i mean i feel bad for her too having to deal with everything but like he is the one that's in a you know, in a strange land, I guess, and needs, like, needs people, you know, to, like, be, be on his side, I guess. Yeah, he's the, like, fish out of water. There's, there's another element that in rereading my paper, I was reminded of that on Broadway, um, he, 
Leo requests um, a Jewish lawyer as his representation that he like someone he knows he wasn't like just give me a Jewish lawyer it was like I would like my lawyer Nathan Rosenblatt please mm-hmm. um, that's literally the the name um, and I don't remember exactly what happens that makes him need to change representation but he on Broadway eventually ends up being stuck with like a a good old boy southern lawyer Mm. who is like constantly saying things to him like about the size of his nose and really blatantly anti-semitic and also kind of pulls a dirty trick in the courtroom of um not of telling leo over and over again that he's not going to testify um he's not going to be able to make a statement and then in the moment in the courtroom he's like just kind of pushes leo up on the stand and is like go talk Hmm. um and that's the song it's hard to speak my heart which on broadway is was framed as like improvisation on leo's part Mm -hmm. um and he's that he's been forced to go up there um and so he kind of the idea is that he kind of like flounders a little bit and it's like this really weak statement um and that it's part of the reason the jury convicts him but on in the london production uh it's much closer to the reality of the situation which was that he leo always had this southern lawyer as his representation as his as his defense counsel and the guy was like a perfectly responsible lawyer who handled the case appropriately um and that but that dramatically in that moment in the courtroom um and I don't know what version of this is like true, true. Like I didn't have access to the actual court transcripts, right. but um, in the Don Mar version, he, the lawyer is like, no, Leo is not going to make a statement. And Leo says, actually, yes, I am. Hmm. And it's, it's his agency. Um, and and it's hard to speak my heart as a prepared statement. Does your client wish to make such a statement at this time? He does not, Your Honor. Yes, Your Honor, I do. Leo. It's hard to speak my heart I'm not a man who bears his soul I let the moment pass me by I stay where I am in control I hide behind my work Safe and sure of what to say 
hard I know I must seem cold I never touched that girl You think I'd hurt a child yet I'd hardly seen her face before I swear, I swore We'd barely met These people try to scare you With things I never said I know it makes no sense I swear I don't know why you see me as I am. That was that's a big difference in terms of just like passivity versus agency. Like in the Broadway production, it's a lot of stuff happening to Leo. Um, and of course, when you're like in the cogs of the justice system, that's definitely true like that's stuff you don't really have a lot of your agency is taken from you but um in the Don Mar production it's like a lot they found the opportunities for Leo to like reassert his agency in the process which makes you root for him more as a protagonist which it, it kind of makes both polarities of it stronger like you're rooting for him to try and um you know get what he's striving for which is obviously like to not be convicted and to like get out of prison right but and and over the course of the show to be able to be with his wife who he's finally in love with um but it also means that when doubt is cast on his innocence, it's got a bigger impact. If you know, on the original Broadway cast album, um, there's the scene where Mary goes to pick up her paycheck from Leo Frank at the factory. And that is, of course, like the scene that everything hinges on. It's, you know, that's, that would have been when Leo committed the crime. Right. And on Broadway, you see the way that scene plays out at the beginning of the show and then again mirrored at the end of the show is you see Mary say, like before she leaves, she hesitates and turns around after getting her check and says, oh, Mr. Frank. Um, And he's like, what? And she just goes, happy Memorial Day and leaves. Right. You see her leave on Broadway. So... From the jump, you're like, Leo didn't do this. She left. We saw the whole interaction. Right. In the Donmar, at the beginning of the show, the the scene still happens at the beginning and the end of the show. But at the beginning, um, the scene ends after Mary says, Mr. Frank, and he says, what? Mm -hmm. You don't see her say happy Memorial Day and leave. So it leaves it really ambiguous. And then you see it at the very end of the show, that scene concludes and you see her say happy Memorial Day and leave. Mm. But at that point, 
you've seen the whole trial you've seen like this is happening after he's died (laughs) um yeah which added context for listeners um eventually like uh leo and his the work that leo and lucille do while he's in prison they get the trial reopened to get the governor to like re-examine evidence that um was like really like dubious testimonies and um just things with the evidence that did not line up um and gets the case reopened to get that stuff re-examined and ultimately leo leo's sentence is commuted from death penalty to life in prison um but then and this this is this is all true like this isn't just the musical um people in atlanta were so furious that his sentence was commuted that a mob stormed the jail kidnapped him and he was hung by like just an angry mob mm-hmm. in the middle of the night yeah. for Donmar, you see the scene play out where she says happy memorial day and leaves but the because the rest of the trial and the rest of the show has not painted leo as like unequivocally innocent anymore um seeing Mary leave after saying happy Memorial day doesn't actually clear anything up mm-hmm. because right. you don't know if he followed her. You don't know if like, you just don't know what happens after she leaves. Right. Cause now we're, we already have those doubts in ourselves. So we're still, cause isn't there one point in the beginning toward the beginning where he, he's being questioned and he says something about like, there's a, you found a body in the basement and they're like, how do you know it was in the basement? Like things like that, where you're like, right. how did he know? Like he might like, <laughs> right. Or they knock on his door and they're like, there's been a tragedy at the factory. And he goes, Oh my God, is someone dead? And they're yeah. like, how do you know that? Right. And I mean, again, it could be just like, it, it, it could be that he is, his guessing like that seems like a logical like the police exactly your door there's been a there's been a tragedy tragedy usually means death (laughs) right it does make you think like could he have yeah could he have done this how did he know that there's also like the most historically accurate part of what makes leo seem innocent or what makes you i guess doubt his guilt to I guess use a double negative mm-hmm. in a way um is that a lot of the um political figures of Georgia at the time who were involved in the case in one way or another um were proven to have these you know ulterior personal political motives um and weren't necessarily acting in good faith during this trial like the you know the governor wanted um to win re-election there was like the the uh judge or like i guess police chief i don't remember precisely but they were like you know we just have to convict someone like you know we we can't people are too angry we can't let anybody go free right now 
there was like a lot of pressure to just convict, which I think is something that still happens today um, in major cases. Um, and then, of course, like I would be really remiss to not bring up the racial factor in parade, which like beyond anti-Semitism is that the other suspect is a black man named Jim Conley who had uh, who had a criminal record and was the security guard at the factory that night. And so he gives he had given testimony um, saying that and, and he ended up being imprisoned as like an accessory to the murder, I believe, because he was um, he gave testimony essentially that Leo Frank was like, like had killed Mary and was like, help me dispose of the body. And, um, but it turns out that like there was doubt cast on his testimony later, partly because, you know, he already had a criminal record. So by decreasing his own involvement from like the actual, perpetrator to an accessory helped him out but and another way that we are made to think you know this wasn't handled right um by law enforcement in the show is you see the governor and law enforcement talking and they have these two suspects they have leo frank and jim conley mm -hmm. a jewish man from the north and a black man from atlanta and um they basically say like people are so mad it won't be enough to convict another black man right like we need to one-up this to appease the public um and i don't know the historical accuracy of that like that would have been you know a a behind closed doors conversation that wouldn't have been in the papers, but um, you know, there's definitely, I think broadly in history, that's a, definitely a believable thing to have occurred. I think one of the strokes of genius in the show is the song, a rumbling and a rolling, which is um, several black townspeople it's sort of just like this a little bit of like a tangent in the show. Like it's like an interruption. It's, it's not part of like the linear action that we're seeing. Um, but it's uh, black townspeople speculate, like talking about the case with each other and saying, you know, it's, this is a big deal that it's going to be the first time they're going to hang a white man. And they're like, this is, the only reason this case is getting attention is because a little white girl was killed. Mm -hmm. And if a little black girl had been killed, this case would not matter. Mm -hmm. This case would not be a big deal. You're rumbling and rolling is coming down from the north. Coming up through the ground And it's a funny old sound Cause it's a rumbling and a rolling And I bet I know why See them on the train, see them on the bus They never 
never cared much about folks like us But now they're gonna pay attention Sure they're gonna ask why, why, why They're gonna say I don't know what, I don't know how Well they're, they're gonna, gonna find out now They're gonna pay attention They're gonna yell set that man free Well they're sure Talking about me. Sugar, please <laughs> tell me something I don't know. Part one of the differences I think in Don Mar is like that perspective was added more consistently throughout. Like it wasn't just this one almost out of place song. Right. Um, it was like uh like the Franks uh made many gives testimony in the courtroom in the Donmar production that I don't think she does on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also adds a moment for, to strengthen Lu- Leo and Lucille's relationship there as well, because Minnie's giving testimony and Lucille is like, that's not true, Minnie. Like, what are you even saying? Um And it's this moment where we see that Lucille has gone from like, I'm going to skip town and not be here for the trial because I'm stressed to, um, to, you know, like having an outburst in the courtroom and like standing up in defense of her husband. Oh, the, uh, one of the biggest things also is the set. Um, Like we talked about the set on Broadway with the tree just like immediately um foreshadowing the hanging um but at the Donmar there was no tree and upstage was this is I got this from reviews but upstage was sort of like a a balcony um like it looked like a like the balcony outside of like a house um but over the course of the show it was then used as like the the gallery and the courtroom Mm. um so it feels like it becomes this 360 courtroom where the audience is part of the gallery um and it really implicates the audience much more directly in like having to decide for yourself whether you think leo is guilty or innocent during this like i mean a solid like third of the show is in the courtroom it's like a lot of a lot of the show is testimony i guess does it change any of his his songs do you think like just that we can't that we can't really trust him there's definitely something about come up to my office that lands differently um between Broadway and the Donmar. But to an extent, I think that might be directorial, mm-hmm. actually, more than the writing. Yeah. Because um, I've gotten the sense that come up to my office um, on Broadway and having watched it at Lincoln Center um, many years ago, um was that this was Frankie who was Mary Fagan's good friend 
um, who was like kind of the driver in the show of the like, like seeking justice for Mary and like making sure Leo got convicted. Mm-hmm. Um, you get the sense that he is sort of like in retelling uh, the story of his conversation with Mary on the streetcar going to the Confederate Memorial Day Parade, um, you get the sense that he's like really embellishing and um, it's just this like totally sensational made up story Mm -hmm. um, that's like almost like, and the way Brent Carver, RIP, the way Brent Carver um, performed it was like almost like cartoon villain Mm -hmm. and not like it was very much portrayed as like this didn't happen this is more victimization of Leo why don't you come up to my office got a bottle of wine and the cork ain't pop why don't you come up to my office where it's nice and cool and the blinds are dropped if you could maybe swing by honey then that bad old clock is stopped if you came if you came if you came if you came to my office i know this new dancer they're doing in manhattan whereas i get the sense from the cast album at least the birdie carvel as leo in london um it was like just less sensationalized. It was actually creepy. There was less of a, cause it's also that like you're watching the way the transition from the courtroom into the song happens is that like you watch this like nervous, fidgety, um, awkward, uh, distant Leo um, sort of, like emerge from his shell and just suddenly become this like really sleazy, Mm. like very forward guy, like who's propositioning 13 year old girls in the factory. (laughs) Um, And that transition on Broadway, you're like, this isn't believable. Right. But I think the, at least just based on the cast recording, the difference between these two versions of Leo that we see um, are, is much smaller in Bertie Carvel's performance. Why don't you come up to my office? Got a bottle of wine and the cork can't pop. Why don't you come up to my office where it's nice and cool and the blinds are dropped? If you could maybe swing by, honey, we'll pretend that that old clock has stopped. If you came, if you came, if you came, if you came to my office. I know this new dance. Were there only those two suspects? Like, are, I mean, are those really the only two people that could have done it? Or are we meant to think that it could have been somebody else, anyone, anywhere? Or is it like really just between these two people? I think for dramatic simplicity in the show, it's meant to be just the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um in in reality, they were the only two major suspects. But I guess, like, because the whole thing is ambiguous and, like, 
there were a lot of questions at the time. Like it could have been someone else entirely, but it became moot pretty quickly. Right. So in the who is is there's that song with Mary in the beginning the picture show who is she yeah who is she singing that with is that her friend yeah she's with Frankie Frankie. so that's like you see the initial so the way that happens is like throughout the show the beginning of the show we're seen we're shown little scenes little moments between people um that then come back later in like an altered version in the courtroom Mm -hmm. and the question becomes was I seeing the whole truth at the beginning of the show and this is now sensationalized victimization of Leo to frame Mm -hmm. him or am I now getting the complete truth in the courtroom and something was left out at the beginning. Because when I heard that song, I was like, oh, maybe her friend did it. <laughs> oh, I've never thought that yeah. Frankie did it. Okay. Definitely not. That's so interesting. But like, like I don't know. It seemed like he was trying to get her to go out and she was like, I I can't. But she was like being a little like, you know how, you know, like um, trying to be like more gro- like acting like more grown up than, yeah and still know. a little flirty and just the, the just that little dynamic i was like is he like one of those guys that's like upset that he's not gonna be going out that with he's getting girl. turned down well hey sunshine sunshine looks like rain to me <laughs> not from here it don't Frick abs, quit that you hear <laughs> what i ain't doing anything i'm gonna go to the picture show there's a movie i got to see you know the one called the silver gun well i've been watching since chapter three i can't wait it's at eight and i was wondering if you're free go on go on go on go on you know my mama never left until it turned 16. go on go on go on go on besides i only go to pictures that i haven't seen <laughs> when do you turn 16. two years from next june too bad about your mama too bad for you where you going to the factory. I didn't get my pay this week. Okay, I'll see you around. At the picture show? <laughs> what? Now I thought your mama wouldn't let you. She will with Desi and Betty Jean. Just not with you. <laughs> oh, bye, sunshine. Go on, go on, go on, go on. Why? Iola? You go in the pictures tonight? <laughs> I think, you know, that's a really funny perspective because then he has the song uh, later, like his testimony in the trial is like, whoever murdered Mary isn't going to get away with it. I'm going to kill them. I swear before God, I'm right. going to kill them. And it's like, like, there's totally, I think there's validity to the perspective of like, what's he overcompensating for? <laughs> But no, I think that's really interesting. I've never thought of that. I, I don't personally think that's really in yeah. the text, but like, I buy it. I buy it in this conversation. And I think because it was, it's in the beginning of the show, that song. So I was like, why is he here? Why is it? Why are they showing me? Why are they showing me this? You know? Yeah. It's because Frankie, I think his, it ends up being 
one of the like driving forces of the conviction um so you're just supposed to see their friendship i guess yeah and like like, also kind of see like mary's innocence and like oh how tragic that this like sweet girl who just wanted to go to the movies was murdered as if we needed a reason to be sad that a 13 year old girl was murdered what i also think is really interesting about the show is the whole setup from the beginning of like the the history of the confederacy and um you know the the first song red old red his old red hills of home um and just like you know like looking at like this is the history of the civil war and then it's like confederate memorial day um just like this is the history of this place it will all like it is still the history of this place like <laughs> it's gonna yeah. color, it's gonna color all our interactions in this show yeah right and that's also why the you know the perspective of the black people in the show and like a rumblin and a rollin and even like jim conley as the other suspect um is so crucial like that's looking at that through the lens of like um post-civil war south like recently fairly recently post-civil war south Mm -hmm. um really impacts it that's the other thing is like part of the reason you might briefly lean towards like yeah leo did it is because you hear from jim and even though like jim is portrayed as like truly an asshole like he's just like completely like uh antagonizing the governor and like making light of the situation and um just like not really cooperating (laughs) um the you are also like i mean if anyone's been victimized here Mm -hmm. it's this black man who we're being told has a criminal record but like honestly how true even is that you know in implicating the audience in this decision um is you don't want to be I think most audience members are going to be sitting there like, I don't want to be um, sort of fooled into this like knee jerk reaction that, oh yeah, Jim Conley did it. Right. Um, so, cause it's like, there's, cause uh, it's clear that like in this post-Civil War South, there is very real and tangible and historically accurate, provable anti-Black racism at play and anti-Semitism at play. Like, right. they were both there. They were both affecting the case. They were both affecting society and still affect society. Um, and so, like, as an audience member, it's, like, balancing that historical context with like the evidence that you are being presented um, and evidence that has been heavily filtered through the minds of two Jewish writers. Right. Um, 
is is complicated and i think um with the rewrites that were done for the donmar production um they make it complicated in more of a good way really alfred yuri was talking about how he actually grew up in atlanta or in the atlanta area and that his grandmother was friends with lucille frank that they like played cards together or i don't know what they were playing but like they got together and and spent a lot of time together um during alfred's childhood and so like he was around her um this was like very personal for him and that as, as a jew in the south um and that you know his memory of it was that like if it ever came up in conversation like nobody talked about it it was like the discussion was immediately squashed um it was it was a scary and like scandalous and upsetting and very traumatic story hmm. um you know a few decades later and also just like really makes um the very like unambiguous perspective in the original Broadway production, you know, puts that in into context for sure. We should move on to our, the why is this so good section. Um, so switching it up, talking about song from Waitress uh, called uh, What Baking Can Do. So yeah, why did you pick this song for why is this so good? Um, well, my initial selections I realized had been done on this podcast. Oh, really? Either as the show being the entire episode or had been selected specifically for Why Is This So Good? And I settled on this because I think often, this didn't happen so much with Waitress, but like often um, when more mainstream musicians um, dip their feet into writing musical theater, they are uh, sometimes more heavily criticized um, or or their musical theater writing is uh, put under a lot more scrutiny by musical theater fans. And I think what Bacon can do is like an exquisite musical theater song. Mm-hmm. I think the character development in this song the the exposition that we get about jenna is so like carefully handled and isn't heavy-handed you know it's not this like you know she's not singing to (laughs) dr pometer like about her abusive dad and this like overwrought thing um it's just like presented as as fact as as something that shaped her and her relationship with her mother and then it's also really interesting to me because it's in a like pretty much the typical like protagonist i want song slot Mm -hmm. but this is not a typical I want song 
Um, she's not, Jenna's not like, like based on the plot of Waitress, it's like maybe the I Want song would be like when she finds out about the pie contest. Mm-hmm. Like she'd have a song like I Want to Win the Pie Contest. Right. It'd be like a more traditional protagonist I Want song. And, and this is why it's like so integral to the character, I think, is, is she's, you know, tr- like her arc essentially in the show is going from somebody who would like never sing an I Want song because she never puts herself first um, to somebody who, who maybe would sing an I Want song. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, the beginning of the show, her I Want song is actually her literally and figuratively like burying her own like fear and emotion and desires and shoving it into a pie which is I think a really interesting choice for a typical I want song slot I mean it does go a lot of interesting emotional places but yeah it it's kind of like it's one of those um lyrics that I think not all throughout, but it kind of focuses on the the lyric itself focuses on the activity, you know, like uh, crimp the edges, um, you know, uh, twisted into sugar, butter covered pieces. that's what like her mind is focused on I guess yeah and it's like the emotion comes through Mm -hmm. um but with but like obliquely like she's not Jenna is not saying oh man like this is how I feel these are my fears Mm -hmm. we've just found out that and Jenna's just found out that she's pregnant Mm -hmm. um to her abusive husband and that And then she sings this song to try and, and she's like burying her feelings in baking, which is what she always does and what she learned to do from her. And we learned through this song, what she learned to do with her mother um, in a household where she grew up with an abusive father. And so like her mother had an abusive husband and now here she is years later falling into the same pattern um, with an abusive husband and now a baby on the way that is terrifying to her. And, um, trying not to and throughout the song she's trying not to go there she doesn't want to think about that she doesn't want to think about the parallels she wants to ignore them bury them in a pie and give them away like she does not want to open that door um and yet by the end of the song a little bit of that has broken through her reaction is like absolutely not i'm going to show them all how happy i am and it's all performance um and it's all 
like she's convincing herself as much as them yeah and i just think it's a really really excellent lyric and musically it's interesting and dynamic she it's not a traditional like a b a b verse chorus verse chorus mm-hmm. yeah i'm trying to think what form is this i'm trying, like i guess it's a a b a but not quite and yeah it doesn't really have like a consistent repeated chorus yeah it, and like the baking it mama it's amazing what baking can do comes like way down in the lyric like it's not Mm -hmm. um it's not in the first uh verse or the first a and but then it does come back at the end let's see the next amazing thing baking does now it's like sounds you know it sounds like a, a you know in the pop song vein and you know it's definitely sarah borellis's music but it it definitely subverted my expectations listening to it like where the where the music was going like chord wise and like what i was expecting to hear yeah and how it brings in the mom um not right away but then eventually like i learned that from you yeah it's like when that sort of starts cracking through jenna's own efforts to push that down Mm -hmm. and it's like the exposition also you know, out of context, you're not necessarily going to get um, get the full exposition that's in this song because a lot of it is in the staging. There's like the um, there's like some choreography upstage of Jenna singing the song, mm. where like you see sort of like a balletic um, scene that you realize is her mother and her abusive father like having an altercation and so that adds the context to the lyric that like you maybe wouldn't get on its own something i never got the chance to ask her on to our final section something wonderful um just anything coming up or going on now in musical theater um that we are excited about or want to give a shout out to it isn't specific to musical theater but i am so pumped for drama bookshop to reopen oh yeah well i'll do apropos i don't know do you know the podcast piece by piece it's like out of london and they Mm -hmm. Do so they did uh one recently on parade, which I listened to. Um and what they do is they bring in like some of the cast, some of the creatives to like talk about the show. 
So there is an episode, it can be like a companion episode to this one. They talk to the cast and, and the director. Um, so uh, that'll be my, my shout out to Piece by Piece podcast. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at scenesong, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. And check back here in two weeks for our next episode. Yeah.